Good afternoon. This is Pastor David Ford. I am the pastor of Mission Charlottesville, a missional congregation in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, we are a member congregation of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. And I want to share with you this afternoon the third of a four-part series of messages entitled Faith That Stands in Tough Times. And I want to read today from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. And we'll be focusing particularly on verses 16 and 17 in this message for today. So here we go. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, And having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Here's verses 16 and 17. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, would you please uh, pray for me and I'll pray for everyone who hears this message. So let's pray. Gracious God, we come right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit to be upon all of us. Those who hear and upon this preacher, come Holy Spirit, anoint us. We pray that you give us today ears to hear, hearts and minds that are open, teachable spirits, and wills quick to obey your word. We dedicate this preaching in the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, this is the third of a four-part series of messages that was preached from the pulpit of Mission Charlottesville, actually back in the month of October this year. I felt a a leading of the Lord to do this, that series of messages. And uh, I think I'm understanding better and better now why I preached that series of messages when I did especially given everything that is unfolding around us in our nation and in the world. And so the the series title is Faith That Stands in Tough Times. And the 
title of this specific message is Faith That Stands in Tough Times, Faith, Salvation, and Spirit Word. Now, in the second message in this series, I mentioned that Paul's letter to the Ephesians is referred to as one of the captivity epistles. And that means letters that were written by the Apostle Paul when he was a prisoner of the Roman Empire overseen by Roman soldiers on an ongoing daily basis. As best scholars know, the book of Ephesians was written by Paul in the early 60s of the first century while he was under house arrest in Rome and where Roman soldiers and their armament and weapons was a daily reality for him. In verses 14 through 17 of this passage, we find that the great apostle was led by the Holy Spirit to use the common uh, items of the first century Roman foot soldiers armament in a metaphorical way to convey inspired spiritual truths that bolsters our faith that stands in tough times. In verses 14 through 15, Paul listed the, the, the first three items of Roman armament, which were the belt, the breastplate, and the soldier's battle sandals. And so Paul used these as, a, as an analogy to talk about the utter importance of the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and, and shoes for your feet that will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Now, in verses 16 through 17 that I read a moment ago, the last two defensive items of ancient Roman soldiers' armament, the shield and the helmet, are listed. And then in verse 17, is the only offensive weapon that a Roman soldier had. That was the sword. Now, the words faith, salvation, spirit slash word, found in verses 16 and 17 of Ephesians 6, these things intersected in Paul's mind by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So with these last two items of defensive armament and the offensive weapon of the sword, uh, which is the word of God, those things came together in his mind and became the written inspired word of God for all time. Now, to help unpack these realities, I'm going to quote from a book by Pastor Chip Ingram. I mentioned this in the first two messages, a book entitled The Invisible War, What Every Believer Needs to Know About Satan, Demons, and Spiritual Warfare. I recommend that book to your reading list. Maybe your spouse or your friend will give you a copy for Christmas. Might be one of the best Christmas gifts you could get this year. And so, this uh, this book helps to give us deep insight 
into these spiritual realities that bolsters our faith in tough times. And that brings me to this point. Faith that stands in tough times relies on the faithfulness of the presence, promise, and power of God. Now, that's the point that Ephesians 6.16 is driving at. Paul wrote, and I quote, With all these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, please hear me. In the original Greek, where it says take the shield of faith, the word take, that's obviously a verb. It is in the imperative mood. Doesn't mean it was a suggestion or a request. It was, in fact, a command. We are commanded to take up the shield of faith. How often? As often as we need to. And it also says that with the shield of faith, we can quench how many of the flaming arrows of the evil one? Every last one of them. All of them. We can extinguish and actually we can extinguish them immediately. Because that's the way it worked with a Roman, ancient Roman soldier shield. Chip Ingram tells us that in his book, he says there are five times when you and I can expect to be attacked by the evil one. Where we can expect incoming flaming arrows from the evil one. And here are those five times and I quote. Number one, spiritual growth. When we're in a season of spiritual growth, watch out. Look for flaming arrows from the evil one. And by flaming arrows, I mean lies, fear, and intimidation. That's what he attacks us with. Those things. Number two, invading enemy territory. In other words, when you and I are out in the world and we are, are being witnesses for Jesus Christ, making the gospel fully known by word, by deed, or by signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are leading people to Christ where they become first-time disciples of Jesus Christ, we're invading enemy territory. We can look and should not be surprised when we're attacked. Number three, exposing the enemy, which is exactly what I'm doing in this series of messages right now. Listen, when I did this series of messages back in October, I experienced on the heels of it three significant attacks. So pray for me. <laughs> I'll pray for you. Amen? Number amen, four. Amen, amen. Breaking with the world. In other words, when you and I, by the grace, power, and truth of God, live as Jesus lived. Right? We've been given the mind of Christ. We think like the Lord. We are to live like the Lord. 
Not like the fallen, broken world that that First John chapter five says the whole world is under the power of the evil one. When we break with the world so that we think and live differently. Well, we can expect to be attacked and the devil will attack us either directly or in and through someone in this fallen world. Number five, you can expect to be attacked in light of blessings to come. Listen, if the devil sees a blessing coming our way, don't you know he'll try and sour it for us? Those are five times you can expect to be attacked by the evil one. Now, remember this. Our faith ultimately doesn't rest in us. It rests in the faithful character of God's presence, promises, and power. Ultimately revealed in and through Jesus of Nazareth and his word. Now, of course, it does and it, and it's good it does. Because you see, we don't live in a playground. We live in a battleground. I'm going to say that again as uh, in the next message as well. Now, both Jesus and Paul employed the term the evil one. Obviously, who's he talking about? The devil and or Satan. All those terms are synonymous. They're talking about the same reality. And that's an apt descriptive term for the enemy of our souls, the evil one. He has nothing good in mind for you and me. He has evil in mind for you and for me. Remember this, the the dream that God dreams for you and for me is one of good, not evil. The nightmare that the devil has for you and me is evil. But the good news is we've got a shield of faith. That God has given us that can quench every flaming arrow of the evil one. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, according to Ephesians 6.16, God is the one that gives us the shield of faith. Only God can give it. But only we can believe it, receive it, and operate in it. That's our responsibility. Now, Romans 12, 3 assures every believer they've been given a shield of faith. Listen to these words, please. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now, here it comes. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Hmm. Listen, when we signed up for the Lord's army, we were each given a shield of faith from day one. Now, every disciple of Jesus Christ who has been born anew by the Spirit of God through faith in the Son of God has been given enough of a degree of faith to protect themselves from every flaming lie, intimidation, and or attack of the evil one. 
even if that attack comes through a human vessel. Now, please hear this. Not every disciple's measure of faith is the same. The Holy Spirit gives to some a greater measure of faith. So in a sense, you might think they got a bigger shield. But the thing is, everybody's got a shield and every shield is adequate to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Please, please hear this. In First in Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verses 7 and 9, Paul wrote this. To each, that means every believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then in verse 9 it says, to another, faith by the same Spirit. So what is that, what is that driving at? It's talking about a greater degree of faith. It is the charisma of faith. Every believer has general saving faith, but some have a greater degree of faith. And that faith is for the common good. And others can vicariously draw strength and protection from it. It helps to extend a shield of faith, not just for the individual, but over others. That helps protect a church from the flaming arrows of the evil one. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it defines uh, faith like this. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, the best word in English that is synonymous with the word faith is the word trust. When we trust God, we honor God. When we don't trust God, we dishonor God. Keep this in mind. Hebrews eleven six says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. <laughs> Not just hard. It's impossible. For whoever would approach you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So by the, the degree of faith that we have been given, which is our shield. With it, we please God and we defeat the arrows of the evil one. Now, the shield of faith that God has given to every disciple born anew of the Spirit of God, it will defend us, but it will not unless we operate in it. In the heat of battle, the evil one wants us to doubt. Please hear me. He wants us to doubt, number one, that God even exists. Much less that God's presence is faithful, his promises and power are greater than the evil one. That's what he wants us to doubt. Now, Chip, Chip Ingram tells us this about this shield of faith. Please hear these words. The shield in this passage was about four feet high and two and a half feet wide. That was the average size of a Roman soldier's shield. It had hooks on the sides to link it to other shields in a line 
so that an entire row of soldiers could advance without exposing themselves to incoming arrows. It was common for enemies to dip their arrows in pitch, light them, and then pelt the opposing soldiers with thousands of destructive flaming missiles. So the Romans made their shields with iron and with two layers of wood wrapped with linen, wrapped them in linen and covered it all with leather. But they would leave a gap between layers so flaming arrows could penetrate far enough into the shield to be quickly extinguished. Now, here, here's the, the takeaway from, from what Chip Ingram taught us about the shield of faith. And that is, number one, Roman shields, they were, they were, were created to link together. So please hear me. Your shield of faith and my shield of faith are meant to link together. The way of saying we are not meant to be like spiritual lone rangers. We are meant not to just battle alone. Yes, there are times we battle alone. But we are meant to battle together. And we are stronger when we stand together in faith. And we link our shields together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we advance together. And it's like a wall that extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So let me ask you, who are you standing with and who is standing with you? Have you got somebody else's back and does somebody else have your back? Listen. Remember this also, no matter what degree of faith God has given, we can quickly extinguish the lies, temptations, and intimidations of the evil one. That's the other takeaway from what Chip Ingram taught us about the shield. Now, listen to this quote. Faith in this context means absolute confidence in God. Not in ourselves, but in God. His promises, his powers, and his program for our lives. This kind of faith refers to our present trust in Jesus for victory over sin and demonic host. Claiming God's promises will deflect and extinguish all the enemy's lies. Now here's a great example of someone who took up the shield of faith over and over again. His name was George Mueller. You ever heard of him? He lived in the 19th century. He was called by others. He didn't call himself this. Others called him this. They referred to him as the apostle of faith. And one time, George Mueller, he found himself in circumstances where he could have been tempted to doubt God's leading provision, and power, but instead he did like he was commanded by God's word in Ephesians 6, 16. He took up the shield of faith, and God got glory, and he made a huge witness to others, and God's plan was fulfilled, 
in that circumstance. Here's how the story goes. There was a book written by a man named Norman Harrison. He wrote a book called His in a Life of Prayer. And I'm quoting here. It tells how a, a, a captain of a sailing ship named Charles Inglis It says, while making the voyage to America a number of years ago, Charles Inglis, he learned from the devout, uh, or excuse me, Norman Harrison learned from this Charles Inglis uh, uh, about an experience he had had recently with George Mueller. It seems that they had encountered a very dense fog while they were at sea sailing from England to America. Because of it, the captain had remained on the bridge of the ship continuously for 24 hours. When Mr. Mueller came up to him and said, Captain, I have to come and tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. When informed that it was impossible, Mueller replied, Very well, if the ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement for 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. The captain continued the story thus. I looked at that man of God and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could that man have come from? I never heard such a thing as this. Mr. Mueller, the captain said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. Uh, He knelt down and prayed one of those simple prayers. And when he had finished, I was going to pray. But he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. Firstly, he said, because you do not believe God will. And secondly, I believe God has. And there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. I looked at him and George Mueller said, Captain, I've known my Lord for 57 years. And there has never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up and open the door and you will find that the fog has gone. I got up and the fog was gone. George Mueller was in Quebec Saturday afternoon for his engagement. Mm. Amen. Amen. How's that? How's that for an example of yielding the shield of faith? My goodness, that brings me to this point. Faith that stands in tough times has received not just the shield of faith, but the helmet of salvation, which only God gives to us and only we can receive and believe. Ephesians 6.17, it says, take the helmet of salvation. There it is again, the word take. It's in the imperative mood. It's a command. We'd put that helmet on. How often? Every day. We'd put on the helmet of salvation. 
Here's what Chip Ingram says about this piece of defensive armament. The last piece of armor a soldier would put on was his helmet. It was made of bronze and leather, and its importance was obvious. If you're hit, in, hit on the head, you're out. So immediately before going into battle, an attendant would bring a soldier his helmet and fasten it securely. The helmet of salvation then is the certainty of deliverance from sin and the protection of our minds in battle. The helmet of salvation may be seen as the ability to reason logically and wisely from a biblical worldview, no matter how that worldview comes under attack. It is not something we can do for ourselves. We must choose to receive it, but the passive voice in this verse implies Only God can make it happen. God gives it, but we must receive it. Now, as a disciple of Jesus in the historical company of John Wesley, I understand that the prevenient grace of God brings me to the place where I know that my my brains are being beat out by the devil. And he says, you need the helmet of salvation. The justifying grace of God is where that helmet gets put on. And once the helmet of salvation is received by the Spirit and the Word of God, then by the Spirit and the Word, our minds need to be renewed so that our thinking Our values, our choosing, our living conforms to the revealed will and word of God so that we begin to think like Jesus thinks, not like the world, the flesh, and the devil. The late Dr. (coughs) Francis Schaeffer, he says this. He said, the spiritual battle, the loss of victory, is always in the thought world. Hmm. Now, here's a great insight about into how the devil tries to capture our minds. C.S. Lewis wrote, and I quote, He, the devil, always sends errors into the world in pairs. Pairs of opposites. You let that sink in. He relies on your extra dislike of one to draw you gradually into the opposite one. But do not let us be fooled. We have to keep our eyes on the goal and go straight through between both errors. We have no other concern than that with either of them. (laughs) There are two errors. That the evil one wants people to fall for so as to undermine faith and bring us into bondage. And here, here's the, here's, here's two, two, uh, of the whoppers that he tells. Now you may say, well, I, I, I'm beyond this. I, I'll, I'll never fall for this. Well, then good for you. And if so, then you better be careful and watch out. For the other pair of opposites, the devil will send to pull you in 
but these are two that people fall for on a regular basis, particularly in our culture right now. And that is, number one, there is no God and there is no devil. Be happy with us falling into either one of those two. Now, I want to quote Lewis again. Did you know that for many years of his life, he fell for both of those lies? There was no God. There is no devil. He was an atheist. And then by the grace, truth, and power of God in Jesus Christ, he was born again and was a sold-out disciple for Jesus Christ and became one of the greatest apologists for the Christian faith of the 20th century. Listen to what he wrote. He said, when I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it? Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> God incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth, who was fully God and ideally human, has revealed that his universe and our part in it has an everlasting meaning only when we are in right relationship with God through Christ. It's only then that this universe and our place in it is going to make sense. And Christ's teaching has revealed to us also that there is a force. Jesus called him the evil one that seeks to rob our lives of the sacred meaning that God in Christ has given. And that force Jesus also called the devil and Satan. Listen, Jesus has, is, and will with finality destroy the works of the devil forever. And if we want to be on the right side of history and eternity, then choose Jesus and the God he reveals. Where does that start? Put on the helmet of salvation. And let your mind be renewed by the spirit and the word of God. Here's the last point I make to you today in this message. Here it is. Faith that stands in tough times has been equipped to utilize the spirit inspired word of God 
to win victory over the lies and errors of the evil one. Ephesians 6.17 says, here it is again, that word take. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, quoting Chip Ingram again. Here's what he says. This was not a long sword. It was a light two-foot weapon used in close hand-to-hand combat. It had to be easily accessible and ready to use. And the soldier had to be very proficient in using it. Now, here's his insight about the term, the word of God, used here in Ephesians 6.17. He said, most times in New Testament Greek, the word, the word word is a translation of the Greek word logos, but not here. In this case, meaning Ephesians 6.17, it's a translation of the Greek word rhema. That means the specific spoken word or words given to us by the Spirit of God to do close hand-to-hand combat with the lies and deceptions of the enemy. Now, remember this. God applies his rhema word to us by making the word, the logos word, the written inspired, authoritative, infallible Logos word, alive and active in our specific situations. It comes to us so we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now remember this. Rhema words, sometimes it's just The Holy Spirit speaking a direct word to us in the moment, giving us what we need in the heat of battle. He'll drop into our spirit and then into our mind what we need in that moment to take that sword of the spirit, the rhema word, and use it offensively against the devil. Some other times, another expression of the rhema word is when the the spirit will take a verse of scripture from the Logos and make it become a rhema word to us in that moment to use it as a rhema word to attack the evil one in an offensive way. And so remember this, the spirit works hand in glove with the written inspired word of God, the Logos. He works hand in glove with that to give us a rhema word when we need it. Now, let us never doubt the rhema word or the Logos word, for they are both from God for our protection and the defeating of the enemy. I want to close with a quote and an invitation, and a prayer. John Wesley wrote this, and I quote, The Bible (laughs) must be the invention of either good men or angels, 
bad men or devils or of God. Got that? It has to come from one of those three places. He said it could not be the invention of good men or angels, for they neither would or could make a book and tell lies all the time. They were writing it saying, thus saith the Lord, when it was their own invention. It could not be the invention of bad men or devils, for they would not make a book which commands all duty, forbids all sin, and condemns their souls to hell for all eternity. Therefore, I draw this conclusion that the Bible must be given by divine inspiration. Please hear me. The Lord has given to you and me as disciples of Jesus Christ the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And every time they're used, we will be victor and the devil will be the loser. But please hear me. Here's the invitation I want to make. There may be somebody listening to this message. You've never put on the helmet of salvation. And you're taking it on the chin by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you're feeling like you're going down for the final count. And, and, and you're trying to do life in, in, in you're living in a battleground and maybe you think you're living in a playground. You don't realize there are forces aligned against you to destroy you. Listen, God doesn't want you destroyed. He wants you to be saved now and forever. So today, I want to invite you to put on the helmet of salvation today by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and committing your life to him as your Lord. If you would like to to do that today, then I invite you to pray this prayer after me. And I encourage you to pray it out loud wherever you are. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So I invite you to pray after me. This prayer for salvation. Lord Jesus Christ. I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. So that I could be forgiven and set free. I thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me now and forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.
Well, I want to invite you today, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, today was a day of decision for you. I want to encourage you to contact Rick Bonfim Ministries for them to follow up with you in terms of follow-up ministry. If you were able to watch this video, then you'll be able to reach Rick Bonfim Ministries. And so I encourage you to contact them, and they can share with you next steps in Christian discipleship. So thanks for listening today, and I close by saying God bless you today and always. Thanks for listening. As I watch the world around me, I can see His mighty hand Delivering His people from the evil and the